Those who love the Lord and obey Him enjoy an unusual level of prosperity and flourishing. Why is this? It's because we are plugged into the streams of living water. Israel's first king, Saul, was jealous of David. David was righteous and loved God's law. 1 Samuel 18.14 says, David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. However, King Saul did not have a love for God or his word. He was rebellious. 1 Samuel 18.15 says, When Saul saw that David was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. When you and I are focused on seeking God's will in his kingdom, we become a powerhouse for God. We become a blessing to all who know us. We cause our spouse and children and our friends and family to be blessed. 3,500 years ago, God said to his people in Deuteronomy 30:15, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. There are two paths before us. One leads to destruction and the other leads to life. We must decide which path we shall take. Psalm 1 is the psalm that we've been studying for the last few weeks. Uh, today we're on our third message in Psalm 1. And I'm going to just say this, Psalm 1 has been one of my top, I would say top five favorite psalms. It, uh, it really does speak to my heart, and there's a special reason for that. When I was 17 years old, uh, Marilyn Wedlake, who was a long, has been a longtime member of our church, she's passed away now, but uh, I knew her when I was just a teenager, and she gave me, for Christmas one year, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. You can see, there, see it there on the screen. You probably can't read it, but this, uh, this picture hangs in my office, and you'll notice that it's Psalm 1 to 3, and we're looking at Psalm uh, chapter 1, verse 3 today, but at the bottom of, the, of this little picture, uh, here's what she says. She says, Dear Alan, there's nothing I could write which could add to the wording of the promises contained in Psalm 1. Claim to those promises, go forward, prospering in him, and as you learn more and more to delight in him, my prayer is that God will give you much fruit as you labor for him. As young as you are, you already remind me of a tree standing straight and tall. Just don't ever forget to stay close to the living water from which you may be certain of being able to draw everything you need to keep growing and being fruitful for him Love, Marilyn Wedlake, Christmas 1979. So we're going back quite a few years ago. 42 years have passed since receiving this gift. And I want you to know that I took this psalm, uh, this, this, this picture with me to Bible college, and it's really been with me uh, all along. It's, it's hung in my office. It's, it, ha- it hung in my dorm room. Uh, it's been with me all along. And I want to just say this to you about Psalm 1. I've learned the secret to living Psalm 1 in my life. And I will add this. Sadly, many Christians don't 
know the secret. And even more sad is that there's many pastors that don't know the secret to living as a Psalm 1 man. When I say a Psalm 1 man, I'm talking about a righteous man. That's what Psalm 1 is all about, about the righteous, the way of the righteous, the way of the unrighteous. Well, I'm going to share the secret in just a, a, a bit. But first, I'd like us to look at that text again. I'm reading uh, Psalm chapter 1, and I'm reading verses 1 to 3. This time, I'm reading it from the NLT, because I want you to get, uh, to get a clearer picture of what it's saying. And sometimes it's helpful, isn't it, to read from another version. And it begins, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. In English, the psalm traditionally begins with the word blessed. It comes from that word ashray, which can be translated happy. In fact, in Hebrew, I believe that, that the proper rendering of that word is happy, but, but happy doesn't fully describe all that that happiness or that ashray means. And so there's a number of different English words that we could use in, in that place. We could call, we could say fortunate is the one, or enriched, or joyful, or even praiseworthy is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand with sinners or sit with mockers. Understand this today. Our Lord wants us to be joyful. He, he wants us to, to have a joyful life. And some of you right now are uh, not joyful. And this message that I'm sharing with you today is really a reminder to you of where this joy comes from, how we can be joyful. Some of us as Christians may be in a backslidden state. We're on the wrong path. We've taken the path of the unrighteous. Some of us have slid into that path and we, we hardly were able to perceive when that moment happened. But we're definitely not experiencing joy in our life because we're not living the way that we are told to live in Scripture. Let us talk about this, the joy of the righteous. And so over the last two weeks, we looked at these two verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we see this man, this blessed man, or this joyful man. He's joyful, he's blessed because he is not walking in the counsel of the wicked, because he's not standing in the way of sinners. He is not sitting in the seat of scoffers. Did you see that? This man is joyful because he is not walking with sinners. Rather, he's walking with God. He is, he is enjoying the counsel of God. We said that that was the word of God. We said that he... Uh, does not sit in the seat of, seat of scoffers. He's not a mocker or a scoffer. Rather, he is a sincere man who loves the Lord and wants to please God. This is what brings him joy. So we see that he is joyful because of all the things he doesn't do. And then in verse two, we discover that 
that this man delights in the law of the Lord, and we discover then that he has joy not just from what he doesn't do, but he also has joy from what he does do. So he doesn't walk, sit, or stand with the wicked. And on top of that, he meditates on the law. So he's got joy from what he doesn't do, and he has joy from what he does do. But there's verse 3. And verse 3 talks about the joy that comes to him because of the fruit of not doing certain things, and then, of course, of being a man who delights in the law. So this is a man who's got lots of joy in his life. He's joy from what he doesn't do. He has joy for, from what he does do. And now he's got joy because of the fruit in his life. Let the Spirit of God speak to you now. Because here's what so much of Christianity has become in the West, in North America. We have, many of us, have bought into this idea that the main thing that God wants for us is that we be just be happy, that we are prosperous, that we have whatever we want, that we just speak it into being. Uh, it's it's that, that's that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. Understand that if you're going to enjoy the fruit that Psalm 1 verse 3 talks about, there are certain things that you must not do, and there's certain things that you must do. It's only then that you begin to experience the fruit of living this godly life. And I'm going to say this to you, that we don't always get what we want. But the good news is that, as we read in Romans chapter 8, God is working in us to conform us and shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. God knows exactly what we need in our life, and he knows exactly what we don't need in our life. We find ourselves praying for certain things, and we maybe get frustrated with God because he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers the way we would like him to answer the prayer, only to discover as time goes by that it's a good thing he didn't answer the prayers that we were praying. It was a good thing he didn't give us what we wanted. He gave us what we needed to make us like Jesus. And so really, when we read Psalm 1-3, it really describes a man or a woman who who is being shaped by God and, and becoming the man or woman that God wants him or her to be. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. There's a beautiful picture there. So he's joyful from what he does not do. He's not stand, walk, or sit with sinners. He's joyful for what he does do. He delights in the law of God. He delights in knowing God's law, God's word. Remember we said that that law represents the instruction of God. He delights in the instruction of God. He wants to know how to live. He wants to know what to do. He wants to know what not to do. And this brings him great joy. And then what happens, because he is yielding to the instruction of the Lord, we find that he is producing fruit and his leaf does not wither. It's a beautiful and profound picture. He's nourished by streams of living water, he produces fruit, and he stays fresh and full of life. Let's stop for a moment, and let's think about our own lives. Are your leaves beginning to wither? Are you beginning to feel empty? Are you beginning to feel that you're beginning 
uh, to lose your edge, you're feeling that you are not as joyful as you ought to be or should be. Well, folks, understand what it is that God is calling us to. Rather than walking with sinners, he's calling us to walk with God. Think about that. Before Adam and Eve fell, before the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God, but when they sinned, they left his, prom- he left his presence. They were no, no longer able to walk with him. Rather than walking with God, they preferred to sit and stand with Satan himself in the form of the serpent. And then you know what happened to him. Enoch was a man that walked with God. That's what the Bible says. And Levi was a man that walked with God. It was from Levi that we see the priest class in the Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament, and we find that Jesus walked and talked with God. And what's more is that he taught us to do the very same. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So you understand then that that Jesus is the one that we need to be plugged into. Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to yield our fruit in season. Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to be full of life so that our leaves do not wither. And again, think about your life right now. Where is it at? Perhaps you would say that your your Christian life is withering. Perhaps life in general is withering for you. It's not a happy thing. This is a call this morning to run back to Jesus, run to his presence, and allow him by his spirit to heal your broken heart, and to once again produce fruit in your life. But remember, without Christ, Jesus says, without him, we can do nothing. We cannot produce any fruit. We can go through all the religious rituals. You can do all the right things. But if you're not walking with God as Jesus walks with the Father, we cannot produce fruit. That's really the secret of the Christian life, isn't it? Remain in Christ, and he will remain in us. You want to be fruitful? You want to produce fruit? Remain in Christ. Pastor John, I have no idea what that means. Well, very simply, it means that you have this relationship with God where you are praying every day and you are reading his word every day. Remember, that's what the righteous man is doing. He is is meditating on the word. He's chewing the cud, so to speak. And I have been doing this my, basically my whole Christian life, my whole adult Christian life, taking a passage every day and just meditating on it, chewing on it, and trying to, to absorb all that I can from that passage of scripture. I've got, I've got boxes and boxes of notes that I've written. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying that this is how I have I've chewed on and meditated on the word and allowed the word to become part of my life. 
This is what it means to have a daily relationship with God. Sometimes we call it having devotions. But you need to pray every day, and you need to read your Bible every day. It's a two-way communication. You've heard me say this so many times. And yet I think that for many of us, we forget this. And we try to take matters into our own hands. We try to take life into our own hands. I'm going to tell you, what you need to do more than anything is you need to seek first the kingdom of God. You need to run to Jesus. You need to get connected to Jesus. And you need to allow him to speak to your heart so that your peace will return and so that your joy will return. Your joy is a fruit of this connection to the vine which is Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see something else here. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Look at this, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, your lifestyle, your lifestyle is transformed when you surrender to Christ, when you start doing things the way that God wants you to do things. If you begin to live as God wants you to live, you will find it automatically. This is what we see uh, amongst, if you go back in history and you look at, at, at various people groups, you'll see that, that those who are serious about their walk with God, those who are serious about remaining in Christ are people that just are, become naturally blessed uh, this is one of the observations that some historians made about the Mennonites when they first came to Canada and settled in southern Manitoba. Because they're living in a way that, that seeks to honor and please God, we find that, that it produced a richness of life that lacked among other people. Uh, we have seen sociologists do, do studies on, on, uh, on people who understand this daily walk with God uh, versus uh, just go to church on Sunday and go through the rituals. It was uh, Max uh, Weber, I believe is his name. He said that this Protestant work ethic has produced a wealth amongst the Protestants that other nations don't know or don't have. What's going on? Well, for many of us who are Protestant and still understand this relationship with God, we understand that we need to remain in Christ. And when we remain in Christ, it brings about a prosperity that is a natural fruit of a life that's plugged into God. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who's a Christian will be prosperous in the sense that we know prosper in terms of money, dollars, and cents, and, and treasure, but we're talking about a, a life that is marked by peace and, and joy, a happiness. I know, I've heard many rich people say, I would give everything I have if I could only have peace in my life, if I could only have joy. Well, here it is. Here's the answer. Plug into Jesus Christ, and you will find that all your needs are met. Now, here's the problem for, for so many people. This joy... That, we, that, that is spoken of here, is a joy that does not come to us by, by simply being religious or by going through religious ritual. What we need to understand is that, is that this joy comes to us through Jesus Christ. Here's one of the great problems that we're seeing in Christianity today. People think that Christianity is merely a guide to being moral. Christianity, uh, they believe, uh, teaches us 
good morals, good values, and you've heard people say, you know, what, what our kids need is just some good old-fashioned religion, as though that good old-fashioned religion was, has, is somehow magical and can magically transform people. Well, that is not what Christianity is. And Psalm 1 is more than just moral guidance. In other words, we are not, we are not talking about just being moralistic. What we're talking about is being surrendered to God. There's a huge difference. Basically, every religion has its list of morals and values. Every religion, every religion I can think of. They, they, they give you their, their morals, they give you the values, live like this, be like this, and you'll be a good Muslim or you'll be a good Jew or, a, 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 or in some cases, a, a good Buddhist, good Hindu, whatever. Do you remember a few months ago, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount? And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does is he, he reviews the law of God. And he is showing us the high standard of the law. For the Pharisees and the Jews at that time, they, they thought, well, as long as I'm keeping all the laws, excellent. But Jesus says, no, you don't understand the law of God at all. And so what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's clarifying for us what the law is. Jesus says, here's what the law of God is. There's a righteousness here that you people still don't understand. It's, it's not just about what all the things you don't do, but it's about the condition of your heart. So Jesus says, you know, you, you pat yourself on the back for not committing adultery, but meanwhile, you're looking at a woman with lust in your heart, and Jesus says, you've committed adultery in your heart. This is the standard of the law. So when we go to the, to the word of God, we're not just, we're not just giving moral lessons here. We're, what we're doing is we're showing you your sinfulness, your sinful estate. We're proving to you that what the scripture says about us is true. What does the scripture say about us? The scripture is, is plain, isn't it? We, we have, we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us falls far short of the mark. When I hear people say, oh, I just love the Sermon on the Mount, I... I, I I'm tempted to ask them, do you really understand what it means? Mahatma Gandhi, for instance, he loved the Sermon on the Mount. He thought it was the, one of the greatest documents ever written. He loved the morality of the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the problem, is that the Sermon on the Mount shows us not only how to live, but it shows us how none of us can live up to it. Not one of us. So then you may ask, well, what's the point in teaching this? What's the point in discouraging us? What's the point in teaching us this if, we, if there's no way for us to do what it says? Well, Mahatma Gandhi, like just about everybody else, he did not understand that Jesus was setting us a standard or showing us a standard by which God would judge us. That's right. And we all know that none of us is able to stand up to that standard. So what do we do? Well, for one thing, it should cause us to, to be full of fear and cause us to tremble. But that's the first step. The next step is that it should cause us to look to Jesus. 
Because the only one who can live out the Sermon on the Mount, the only one who can live out Psalm 1 was Jesus. He's the only perfect man. He was the only one that was without sin. It's so sad that modern preaching has really been reduced to mere moralizing. Well, folks, I am not here today just to teach you good morals. I'm here to teach you what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sermons that you hear at Cross Church are not gonna be how-to sermons, how to, how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better father, better mother, better employee, how to be, a, be a, a, a better friend, how to have better health. Because what we recognize is that at the very core of our problems, the common denominator to all our sin and all of our weakness and all of our failings is in fact our sin. And so what we need and what we're reminded of is our need for a savior. And thank God, thanks be to God, he sent us a savior. His name is Jesus. You know, we love to compare ourselves to others. We're looking at the morals of scripture, the morality of scripture, and we we compare ourselves to others, and we look at others, and we say, well, you know what? Of all the people I know, I am the most moral. I am one of the best people that I know. A lot of people think like that. When I was a teenager, even though I was a Christian, that was how I thought. I thought, well, compared to everyone else my age, uh, especially my siblings, I am an exceptionally good young person. Folks, can I tell you that 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 mentality, that attitude, is the same attitude of pride of everyone who is perishing in sin. It's critical to understand that. Now, I told you earlier that I learned the secret to living the Psalm 1 life, and, and here it is, and you can probably guess it. There's only one man who has ever been able to live as a Psalm 1 righteous man, and that is Jesus Christ. No one can live this life and enjoy the fruitful life that is spoken of here. At least not in our own strength we can. We need a savior. When the Bible talks about Jesus, it doesn't just talk about him being a teacher. It talks about him being our savior. God sent us a savior because we needed a savior, someone who would save us. We need his righteousness. Read Romans, the book of Romans, because we see in the book of Romans, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though we were sinners, yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he die for us? Because every one of us is a sinner in need of a savior. That's the gospel. And to be a Christian is to rely on Christ's righteousness and his enabling. Folks, that is why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us, to enable us to live the life that God has called us to live. So when we look at Psalm 1 to 3, or we look at the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not saying that you dismiss this and say, oh, well, I can't live like this anyway. No, 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 no. No, this tells us how to live, and we need to, we need to endeavor by, by, by God's strength. We need to endeavor to live this way. But understand, understand that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and in, in his enabling 
of us to live the life he's called us to live. And this is exactly what Marilyn meant when she wrote these words. Just don't ever forget to stay close to the living water from which you may be certain of being able to draw everything you need to keep growing and being fruitful for him. What's Marilyn saying? I need to stay connected to the vine. I need to to remain connected to Jesus Christ. I must be careful never to have the attitude that compared to everybody else, I'm a good person. Isn't it wonderful that we have the Apostle Paul, who rather than going around telling everybody how wonderful he is, he says, I am the worst of sinners. There's nobody that's as bad as I am. Now, that's not just hyperbole. It's not, he's not just uh, trying to be sensational. He's telling you what he knows about his own heart. And I wonder this morning if you know what's in your heart. God wants us to live like Jesus, but understand that you can't do that in your own strength. And so every day you are connected to the word of God. Every day you are praying and staying connected to our Lord Jesus Christ. I am like the tree planted by streams of water as long as I am united with Christ. This is what the apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter two. Let me just read that. And again, I'm reading this from the NLT. Uh, Paul says once, he says this to the Christians in Ephesus. Once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins. Imagine non-Christian people trying to live like this. It's not possible. You're dead. You're dead in your disobedience and your many sins, Paul says. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. This is the reality. This is the reality around us. This is the reality that, that we find ourselves in. And then Paul says in verse 3, all of us used to live that way. Did you hear that? All of us. You're so quick to compare yourself to other people. And Paul's saying, hold on to me. You can't, you can't compare yourself to other, other people and then declare yourself or judge yourself to be better than other people. Paul says all of us used to live in disobedience. All of us used to live obeying the devil. All of us used to live in sin. All of us used to live just like the rest of the world, following the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. That's who we are. There's no way on earth that I can live like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding my fruit in season and and, and my leaf not withering, if I am not connected to Jesus Christ. I don't have that ability, and nobody does. That's what Paul says. Paul says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So if you're listening here today and you think that you maybe are a cut above the rest, that maybe you're just a little bit better than everybody else, that you maybe are one of God's favorites, and maybe you're one of God's favorites because of of all the wonderful things that you do, can I remind you today that the the ground at the foot of the cross is all level. We're all equally in need of God's grace. And immediately you may think of people who live worse lives than you. Can I remind you, you are not the judge. 
And someday you will be standing before Jesus Christ. You will not be standing before those who didn't live as good as you. No, all have sinned and all fall short of God's glory. When you can say, it's me, Lord, I need your mercy, this is the beginning of your joy. This is the beginning of a life that yields its fruit in season. When you can say, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I cannot prosper. Without you, I wither up and I die. That's, look, look, look at this in verse uh, 11, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And so look at this. You can't even, you cannot even say, look at, I'm such a wonderful Christian. Look at the wonderful person that I am. Look at the wonderful things I've done. Paul tells us it's only by God's grace that we've been saved. Not of ourselves so that we cannot boast. We cannot boast or be proud of how spiritual or how wonderful we are. No. Paul says, for Christ raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. There is the secret. There's a secret to living a joyful life, being united with Christ. And it's something that you don't hear anything about. When's the last time you heard a TV preacher talk about being united with Christ? It's in being united with Christ that we enjoy a joyful and peaceful life. Joy unspeakable, unspeakable and full of glory. That is ours through Christ. You know what? I, uh, I think back to my childhood when my parents began to go to church and turn their lives over to God. Remember the massive change, the massive transformation in our family. We were going to church every Sunday, and Dad opened up his own business, and there was a, a measure of prosperity that we had not enjoyed uh, ever. And I believe it was because the focus now was on Christ, on pleasing Christ, on being connected to Christ. But listen, the minute you get your eyes off of Jesus, the moment that you get dis become disconnected from Christ, everything comes tumbling down. And maybe that's where you are right now in your life. Your life is a mess right now. And God, by his grace and mercy, is telling you today it's time to get reconnected to the master, the vine, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you right now for your grace. We thank you that your love and your grace is sufficient for us. Father, we thank you for the joy that comes to us when we are careful to not walk, stand, or sit with sinners. We thank you for the joy that's ours when we are in the word of God, meditating on it day and night. Thank you for the joy that comes when we begin to produce fruit, wonderful, prosperous fruit. God, we pray right now that you would help us to recognize that that all of this points to Jesus. Without Christ, we can do nothing. 
Disconnected from Christ, we die. Disconnected from Christ, we produce no fruit. Father, help us to recognize where we're at right now. Give us the grace to cry out to you for the grace that we need to get reconnected to the master. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.